If you're anything like me, you probably run into a conflict. <laughs> if you're not like me, you probably haven't ran into a conflict. But if you are, you've probably been in a conflict with someone. And if you have a sibling, then you've definitely gotten into a conflict before. So let me tell you a story about when I was a kid. So I was about four years old. And my brother Isaac is uh, two years younger than me, so he was two years old. And there's a big difference between a four-year-old and a two-year-old, you know, as far as height and dexterity and strength. So needless to say, I had the upper hand in almost every situation. So according to my parents, this is what happened. I don't remember everything that led up to the incident, but I remember the incident. So according to my parents, Amber, or, uh, not Amber, not Amber and I, I have a sister, Amber, too. But my brother and I were playing tug-of-war. And I'm not sure if we were fighting over a toy or we were just, like, pulling on each other's hands. I think we were probably fighting over a toy. So my mom was watching this, and she realized it was starting to get out of hand. So as she cries out, don't let go, I let go. So, you know, I had an understanding of, of what I was doing, I think. So I let go, and... I sent my brother flying, and on his way down, his cute little two-year-old head found the leading edge of a bookshelf, and that's how I split my brother's head open. So one conflict handled poorly led to an even bigger conflict, and I thought I was going to be in really big trouble, and not only that, but I felt really bad for hurting my brother, so... I did what I thought was natural, and I ran. I ran away, and I hid. There was a recliner. There was a little green miniature toddler-sized recliner, probably like this tall, in my room, and it was like a green velvet. So I ran, and I hid behind that. I was talking to my parents about it this week. They don't remember me hiding. They were more concerned about the blood gushing out of my brother's head. Um, But I remember it very vividly, running away and hiding, because I was afraid I didn't know how to handle it. So that, this night turned into a nightmare for my parents. So they went to the, the nearby clinic that was an extension of a local hospital network, and they waited with Isaac to get stitches. And they ended up waiting for something for like two hours. And right before they closed, it was like right at the end of the night, right before the clinic closed, they came up to them, and they're like about to see them, and they, they realize that it's a, a toddler, and they're like, oh, sorry, we don't do stitches for kids here. And my mom and dad, needless to say, were a little put off by the fact they had been waiting for two hours, and then they said, sorry, we don't do kids' stitches. He's like, why, why didn't you just tell us that when you got here? And they said they couldn't do it because they don't have the papoose, you know, like the straight jacket for kids to hold them down so they don't move. And my dad said, listen, here's the deal. We've been waiting for two hours. It's the end of the night. No one's else open. I'm going to hold him still. I will be the papoose, and you do the stitches. So the surgeon came in, and my dad climbed under the surgical blanket and like put his body on top of my brother and held his head still. And they had, he had the blanket over top, and so my mom's job was to fan them because <laughs> he was like a sweaty mess underneath the blanket while the doctor did surgery uh, and, did, and gave him stitches. And so it all ended up being okay. Um, and... My brother split his head open again later, but it wasn't my fault. (laughs) It does explain a lot. It does explain a lot. So, so, um, 
Kids aren't that much different than adults, are we? Sometimes adults run away when there's conflict, too. There's a few different ways we handle conflict. Just for fun, by show of hands, how many of you are the runaway type? Kind of avoid it at all costs. You know, like, hey, I want to just, you know, like, I'm going to duck out early from lunch. I'm going to leave. I'm going to stay at work late so I don't have to walk out the door. That kind of thing. Okay. Then there's those people who are like, I know you're wrong. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> Immediate. Who, who are you guys are like, I know exactly what I want to say. You know, no one's raising their hands. Okay, okay. I, well, what if you're both, depending on the situation? You can be a little both. You can definitely, this is not a one-size-fits-all thing here. And then there's like the third category, which is like passive aggressiveness. Are any of you guys going to be like, I'm not talking about it right now, but you better remember. I'm going to be thinking about it every day for the next year. I'm going to get back at you covertly. Anybody like that? Can I see your hands if you're that person? Okay, give me a second. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So there are a lot of different ways that we can deal with conflict, right? And the ways we just mentioned are pretty natural. We learn them from our parents or our friends. Some of it comes natural to us. Some of it we just learn by watching others. But that doesn't mean it's correct or healthy. And it's unsurprising to us that this leads to dysfunction. And it's not very helpful if we handle our conflicts this way. Therefore, it's pretty easy to see that these different tactics need to be adjusted. We don't want to go through conflict these ways, right? And we don't want to be stuck in a perpetual fight. We don't want to have our mental power taken up, consumed by thoughts of conflict with someone else. We want to be able to live peacefully, and focus on other things. And most of all, very importantly, we want to be able to handle our conflict in a way that honors God. Literally everywhere we go, we are going to differ in opinion with someone. We're going to push someone's buttons on purpose or an accident. They're going to push our buttons. Conflict is inevitable wherever there are more than one person. Sometimes you can have conflict within yourself. And with conflict being such a prevalent part of our lives... We should give it attention. We need to ask ourselves, how does our Heavenly Father want us to handle ourselves in conflict? So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to have a sermon series about conflict. I'm aiming for it to be four weeks long. This is the first one. And this is going to be kind of the general overview as we kind of walk through Scripture and kind of get the basis for conflict and how God wants us to look at it. So we're going to be looking at a few different passages to help ground us in the basic principles. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of dive in and look at these topics from different angles and a few different nuances and that kind of thing. So I want to start off this morning with our sermon series verse. I think this is kind of what encompasses and kind of pushes us to have this conversation. It's going to kind of be the anchor for the next four weeks. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called children of God. Now this is a very simple verse. But it is so important. The simple sentence come in, comes in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is a few chapters of Jesus' greatest sermon ever given in history. And in these chapters, he's telling us what it means to live a life after God. What it, what it means to live as a kingdom citizen. And in these verses, Jesus challenges us, and he speaks truth 
into our lives. And one of the things he says is this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Isn't that what we want to be? Don't we want to be called children of God? Well, if we want that title, we need to first focus on becoming peacemakers. That's something that we are burdened to do. Earlier, we were talking about different ways people can respond to conflict and how those methods fail us, and they, they, they usually fail to solve the problem. But as Christians, Jesus is saying here that we need to do things a different way. He isn't saying that we aren't going to run into conflict. He isn't saying that we should avoid conflict, but he's saying we should be peacemakers in conflict. And the action of finding peace in the midst of conflict, I think, is ultimately an act that brings glory to God. And I think that's really cool, because we can be transformed into peacemakers. The ones who bring people together, the ones who heal things, the one who makes things right. And we can be reconcilers in a world of division. And ultimately, we're going to be agents of reconciliation, bringing people the gospel and helping them be reconciled to God. Obviously, it's Jesus' sacrifice and that transformation. But we have a part to play in bringing people the good news of reconciliation. So let's get our feet wet on the topic and hop into the verse. You can go ahead and turn to Galatians 5, 24 through 26. In Galatians 5, we're going to see Paul give some general life advice on how to live as a Christian. But it has an exceeding amount to do with also how we live in conflict. Galatians 5, we're going to start in verse 24. It says, Those who belong to Jesus Christ have been crucified with the flesh, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Some versions say, even though we live by the Spirit, in every part of our lives, let us live by the Spirit. Verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So what Paul gives here is general instruction for the way that Christians should live. But the words he say resonate to every part of our life. It's not like it just applies to how we uh, buy groceries. It doesn't apply to how we drive our car or how we present ourselves at work. It, it resonates to every part of our life. And the first thing he says is that we went through an identity swap. That's the first thing he tells us. That when we dedicate ourselves to Christ, as Paul, or as, not Paul, as Tom read from Paul earlier in Romans, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. When we dedicate ourselves to Christ, we are dedicating ourselves to killing our passions, to killing our desires, to replacing them with Christ's passions and desires and with his way of doing things. And we are empowered to that end, to live like Christ by the work of the Spirit in our lives. By keeping in step with that spirit, we live the way that God wants us to. And in verse 26, I think it speaks very specifically to the things that we find in conflict. Let us not become conceited, provoking, or envying. How often in conflicts do you think you know everything? A.K.A. being conceited, right? (laughs) 
You've got all the information. You've got the correct view. You know what's going on. You are right. Isn't that being conceited? Thinking you know everything. And it's obvious to see how provoking one another isn't helpful to conflict. Paul tells us to not do that. And how many of our conflicts can rise out of our passions, out of our envy, out of our jealousy? Paul wants us to see that our new identity in Christ must be forefront in everything we do in life. And conflict is one of those things. But conflict makes it really tricky to maintain that Christ-first identity, doesn't it? When we are pressured, upset, or confronted, it makes it really easy for us to put on those old, worn-out, and smelly clothes that are our old desires and passions. So this morning, I was cooking bacon, and I spilled a bunch of grease all the way down my shirt and pants, and I had to go home and change. Now, when I change, I put on these brand-new, fresh clothes. They smell nice, they look nice, they're comfortable, and they're not greasy. (laughs) Which is how we should live as Christians when when we live with Christ. But when we get into conflict and we're pressured and we're pushed and we become self-defensive, it's like me going home, taking those old dirty clothes out of the hamper that are covered in grease, putting them back on, and then all of a sudden walking into that conversation. That's not what we want to do. We need to be careful to not step back, step backwards in who we used to be when conflict arises. And it's going to push us to want to do that. But we have to keep Christ first. And if we are able to keep Christ first in conflict... It turns, in, turns this conflict into an act that is God-honoring. It's kind of crazy that these pressure points in our lives, the dirty parts of our lives, the conflicts, can be transformed into a testimony, into a witness when it's done a godly way. So all of, all of a sudden, conflict becomes a witness. The next passage we're going to look at comes from Jesus himself. I got it up here on the screen for us. Matthew five twenty-three through 24 says, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, once again, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, that there's a conflict. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your sacrifice, to present your offering. So once again... Jesus is telling us to how to live a kingdom life. So let's take this, what he says here, and let's apply a mental exercise to help us understand the scale of what he's saying here. So first of all, to present an offering at the altar means that you have to get an offering to give, right? So that's work in and of itself. Either you go, you buy some livestock, or you've raised it. You've spent hours probably that morning looking for the right animal to present your offering at the altar. And then... You have to travel to the temple to present your sacrifice. And it's not like there's a temple on every corner like McDonald's. There is one temple, and it's in Jerusalem. So if you don't live there, you have to travel to Jerusalem. You have to walk there. You probably spent all day getting there. And then when you get to Jerusalem, you have to wait in line. You have to wait in line for your turn to get up to the altar of the priest because there's other people coming and offering sacrifices. And then it says, after all that time and effort spent... And you get to the altar, after all that commitment, you remember, hey, I remember I have a conflict with someone. Jesus says, leave your offering there and go. Be reconciled first before you come back to make that offering. Now, I don't know about you, 
But for me, it would be very natural to say, well, I've spent all this time all day trying to get here. I'm just going to, I'm just going to get my offering over. I'm just going to do my sacrifice and then I'll go handle this later and clear up my conscience later. But Jesus says, no, we need to first be reconciled to that person and then come and present our offerings. To put this into modern terms, imagine you like drove to Lansing for like this worship experience and you pull in the parking lot and you realize, oh, I forgot that me and my, my buddy were having a fight. And we need to clear that up before I can really come and worship to God. Jesus says, drive back to Grand Rapids, get that taken care of, and then go. Kind of crazy. It's a pretty radical statement, actually. What a huge inconvenience it would be. But Jesus thinks that pursuing peace is so important that he asks us to do that. This passage shows us a few very important things about conflict. Number one, if we're in a broken relationship with one of our brothers and sisters in faith, it makes it really hard to worship properly. It makes it really hard for us to come to God and present an offering to him. It also shows us that conflict is something that we need to be ready to take care of right away. We need to put in hard work to take care of it. That is what God wants from us. And he knows, Jesus knows that grudges and anger and offenses are going to only lead to more conflict. And they're going to lead to more division. And unity is so important to Jesus that he says these words in John 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. He's praying, he's praying to God here. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they, all, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Unity is so important because our unity is evidence to the world that Christ has actually made a change in our lives. That is one reason why conflict resolution is so important in the faith. There's one last passage here. We're going to touch on it quickly. Philippians 4, 2 through 5 says this. I urge Euodia and I urge Synecdoche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Notice that Paul seems to be addressing some sort of conflict here between these two women. And he's asking them to live in harmony. And in his address of their conflict, he says something that I think is really important for us when we are going through conflict. And Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes in conflict, we can feel very agitated and bothered, right? That's a very natural feeling for us to have when we're in conflict. And our minds can be consumed by that conflict at hand. And we can, we can become very worried and filled with unrest. Especially when we can't see the resolution in front of us, when we don't know how this is going to work out. And Paul says that even in conflict, we need to be having an attitude of joy. And we need to be living with a gentle spirit. And these two points come from a larger teaching. And that teaching is that our circumstances do not determine our joy. That 
Rather, our joy comes from the truth of what Christ has changed in our lives. The truth of the hope that we have, that God has set before us. And that is what the Spirit will do in us. If we're seeking harmony, we will be able to rejoice and walk in God's power. So let's take what we've learned from the Scripture this morning, and let's boil it down into working principles so that we can deal with conflict in our lives in a way that God intends us to do. So number one, as conflict happens, let your identity in Christ shine through. Galatians 5 talked about how our old desires and passions are crucified with Christ and how living in the Spirit needs to spread to every part of our lives. It is really easy, as we were talking about that changing back into the old greasy pair of clothes, it's really easy for us to draw back into ourselves, to become self-centered and defensive when we are in conflict. And our old selves are driven by our flesh and what we want and what makes us feel good and comfortable. But that is not what we need to be doing. We need to realize that we're not in the driver's seat of our lives anymore. Jesus is in the driver's seat. And if we want to honor him, we have to let his character shine through, even in conflict. Number two, be ready to work hard and resolve conflict quickly. That's what we saw in the Matthew 5 passage about leaving your offering at the altar. We need to be ready to leave what we're doing to find harmony with our brothers and sisters. We need to be ready to be inconvenienced when we find ourselves in conflict. To go out of our ways to make things right in the broken relationships that we have. It is also going to take effort. And it might not be an easy apology. And it might take hours or days or weeks. But we need to straighten it out. Because the understanding of how God wants us to live requires that of us. He wants us to come and worship him not with grudges or anger or conflict on our side. He wants us to come worship him free of any hindrance. So in other words, don't let your conflicts fester. Number three, in conflict, you must rest in God's joy and live by the Spirit. That's what Paul tells those two women in Philippians 4. He urges them to live in harmony, but also to never cease to rejoice and show their gentle spirits. So there are going to be times in conflict when you feel unprepared. You're going to feel unable to address the situation. You're going to feel like you don't know what to do, or you don't have the tools to fix the problem. And when you feel this way, when you get to this point, and I promise you will, you have to remember to be gentle and be filled with joy. Those are the things that need to come into your mind. And those, that happens when we gather perspective. Usually we're just really busy at staring at what's in front of us, right? Especially in conflict, it's like we put on blinders and that's all we can see in life. Everything's filtered through that. But what we need to do is be people of perspective. We can see the big picture, what God has done in our lives and what he's doing in reality. And how he's working things out around us. So when we resolve conflicts in a godly way, it is an absolute win for God's grace. And handling conflict in a godly way is one of the best testimonies we have to the world. The world is filled with gossip and backbiting and passive aggressiveness and sometimes not so passive aggressiveness and division. And we need to be, we need to be peacemakers and showing people that we are the children of God. So that's what I want us to do today. I want to invite God into our lives 
to transform us into peacemakers, to invite God to lead us by his spirit in harmony with others, to invite his peace into our lives as we walk through difficult situations. And as an exercise of this, and as we're going through this series, I want you to think about the relationships in your life that might have unresolved conflict, that need some reconciliation. And I want you to pray about that. Now, I know as good as anyone that sometimes it's not the right time for, conf- for relationships to be reconciled. Sometimes people just aren't going to change right now. I'm not talking about those very obvious situations where you've already tried and nothing has happened. But I'm talking about those ones that you think you can influence. The ones where you think you can make progress. Because we need to be those peacemakers. So, as we go through this series, be praying about becoming a peacemaker and seeing where you can be a peacemaker in your life. And by doing so, we will become more like the children that God wants us to be. Let's pray. God, I just invite you here this morning to come into our hearts and to make us peacemakers, to show us what it means to seek joy and peace in conflict. I want us to have that wisdom that only comes from you to make these things right. I just pray that you guide us always. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.